is up, everybody? You're listening to Suds Buds Presents Pints and Pixar, the podcast where we chat about the films of our childhood over some adult beverages. And uh, I'm your host, Eric Anderson, and with me in studio, as always, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Nathan Uppadell. Yeehaw! And he yeehawed this time. This man just got back from... uh, down south. Down south. A little Texas action. Texas. God bless Texas. God bless Texas. Come and take it. <laughs> Did, oh, I didn't send you any of those this weekend. I don't have you on Snapchat. I'm but, dropping uh, stuff in here. but um, Sorry. No, that's, that's all right. I was down there for uh, my brother's wedding. And uh, they didn't... <laughs> flying down, we realized... The family chat realized they didn't have a hashtag. And in my sleep-deprived state, uh, the only thing that came to mind was the hashtag come and marry it. So I had uh, had my buddy Evan. I sent him a rough draft of what I wanted the Snapchat sticker to look like. And it turned out pretty good. Uh, <laughs> I'll pull it up here in just a second. Nice. And we'll post it on the Suds Buds Instagram. We'll yeah, give him yeah, a, yeah. a wedding shout-out. Um, I like that. I like yeah. wedding shout-outs. Exactly. We do them all the time. Yeah, this is a very cool. common thing that we do. Um, so yeah, this ended up being the sticker. Oh, <laughs> nice, nice. I like that. Yeah. Come marry it. Cool. Exactly. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Drank some good beer, ran around a lot, um, brought a lot of beer back. Very cool. Always a good thing too. Yep. Got, and uh, you had a little connection cause you flew down there, but you had some family that drove back, right? Correct. Um, so I also ended up, I also have about five cases of yingling that I'm very excited to bust into. Yeehaw, for sure. Have you ever had a yingling? I have. It's okay. been a while. Um, I had it, my buddy Raul, when he went out to Philly, when he was, um, so he was from, from Mumbai to New York to Minneapolis, but when he was living in Minneapolis, he was going out and taking classes in Philadelphia weird yep all right cool dude classic raul classic raul and when he was uh i don't know if he was more excited to go to school in philly or the fact that he'd be going back somewhere where yinling was available so Mm. (laughs) sure sure being from new york too you know yeah so he brought that back with him and it's good it's good it's like the it's just the east coast hams you know yeah like there's nothing it's not like an it's it's an it's not an exceptional beer um it's good Yep, it's good. Uh, there is a fun beer-liquor combo that you can do with it. Um, you just sip out the top, and you fill it back up with Bacardi Limon. Uh, you call it a turbo, and it kind of pulls this, like, berry flavor. You told me beer. about this. Yeah, yeah. highly recommend. Um, you know, drink in moderation because you are drinking about a beer in a shot every time you drink one. Yeah. Uh, and that shit sneaks up on you because it doesn't taste like there's extra liquor in it. Huh. Yeah, it really masks well. Bacardi Limon hasn't really had a place in my life. Uh, I mean, really ever, but definitely <laughs> not for a long time. But I get that. If I'm ever in a bar out east, I might see if they could whip me up one of those. Yeah, bartenders might. Is I don't know. I thought I had learned about them in New Orleans. Um, but this is in a pint glass. No, it's just in a can. Oh, you just serve it in a can. Well, I mean, you could do it in a pint glass, too. Sure. As long as you got Bacardi Limon and Yingling. I'm wondering if I ordered this concoction at a bar, if there's like a traditional way it's served to you. Well, so every time, like 
from when I learned it to the opportunities I've had to have one, yeah, like in a bar, I've never had a bartender that knew what it was. Oh. But like, I don't know, like the first time I had Yingling, like the turbos were brought up. And so I just kind of assumed that it was a pretty common thing, but it is not. But they will make you one. So, yeah. That's. Know. I'm glad you added the they will make you one thing because I think we've talked about this a little bit before, probably not on air, but like you have always been a big beer guy or in the last mm-hmm. ne- number of years, but you kind of got into the craft beer world or the let's just call it the beverage industry through craft beer yeah you're a bartender but not by way of of cocktailing you know you're a a front of house brewery jack of all trades kind of guy sure um i kind of got into it through like the retail end on a liquor store but then started bartending and cocktailing and i just i'm glad you said the you know he will make it part because that was something that I was taught pretty early on. And I think it's one of the most valuable lessons I've been taught in bartending is just like, if you don't know how to make something that someone asked for mm-hmm. and, and and you're not like deep in the weeds getting just destroyed that night, you know, if you got time, ask them how to make it, you know, ask yeah. them what's in it and, and, and kind of figure it out from there because that's a cool thing, especially bartending somewhere like the twin cities where it's a big enough place where you're getting people traveling through from both directions, you know, multiple states away. They might have some regional drink that tastes like home to them. They come up to you and they order it. You have no idea what they're talking about. They tell you how to make it. And then, you know, maybe next time someone comes in and they don't know what to drink, you're like, yo, this guy from, mm-hmm. you know, Jersey showed me this really weird drink or whatever. It's a uh, bartending can be scary. It's a fast-paced world and lifestyle, and you got to be a night owl and got to have thick, thick skin and be kind of patient, but also kind of surly at the same time. And uh, you know, don't be afraid to ask someone how they want it if you're not sure what they're talking about. Yeah. Is basically the long roundabout lesson. Well, and luckily with this one, it's literally a beer and a shot. A beer and a shot, right? Yeah. So like, if they got Yingling, I mean, they're gonna have Bacardi Limon. Yeah, which is again like where you where you had said like that has not not had a place in your life for a long time. There's not a lot of drinks that I know that use Bacardi Limon. No, not really. Like it's, but it's a thing that every bar has. True. Like one of those. Like I don't know what the main drink for it is. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Probably mixed drinks. Maybe like some. Like I don't even know. Maybe like probably a lot of summery beachy cocktails. Um, I thought a Bacardi Limon and Coke would be pretty good. Bacardi Limon and Coke. Maybe some people will do it in their Long Islands. I could see that. Sure. Um, I mean, I've been to. I've seen Long Islands made a million different ways. Yeah. Well, because Long Islands is let's take a bunch of liquor, pour it into a cup, and then add some Coke for color, and it's fine. Shots. Shots are sometimes the same way too. Where like there's shots that are like a two ingredient shot that have some big fancy name and you go around like regionally and it's very different things like mm-hmm. uh Vegas bomb is one example. Yep. I've made a bunch of Vegas bombs. I've made very few identical Vegas bombs. Like, <laughs> and I will, when I found out pretty early on people like describe this as very different things. I would always ask people and what's in your Vegas bomb. And they would tell me how they want it. And I'm like, 
That makes no sense, and that sounds disgusting, but we'll whip it up. You want... Good thing you clarified. Yag and butterscotch schnapps, like, more power to you, man. Sure. Like, and Or Red Bull and, and root beer schnapps, like, just weird shit, but... Yeah, like, I wonder if even, like, the bars in Vegas, like, do you think, like, all the bar owners got together, like, okay, guys, we've got to figure out, we got to be a unified front here. If they're getting Vegas bombs in Vegas, they need to be the same thing. I think Vegas bomb. It would be funny if that shot in and of ins- in it of itself implied that this is just a dice roll. You know, <laughs> that actually that that might be kind of like a fun yeah fun play for it because you call it a dice roll. It could be like a roulette shot. It could be a, a dealer's choice shot. I mean, go on with the the gambling puns, but sure. Uh, and maybe that is maybe I'm a missing crap the point. shot. You know? <laughs> yeah, the crap. The cra- <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. I'll I'll be here for the next hour. Ah. Uh, but I feel like we're kind of reverting back to uh, the roots of this show in a way. Mm-hmm. We're, we're talking service industry 101. Uh, you know, I think we got some people that listen to this because they like Pixar, but we also got a lot of bartenders and, and industry workers and employees that listen. So, you know, if we can make you feel better about what you do or, or shed some light yep. on some things that helped us get by we feel all of your pain simultaneously <laughs> we do we do we're like your uh we're like your little voodoo dolls <laughs> please don't stab me please don't do that you're you're breaking a glass somewhere on on the clock right now and and i'm shedding a tear for you that's why i cry so much we accidentally broke a lot of glasses yesterday oh, man. it happens uh but anyway sorry i uh <laughs> we, we we got sidetracked a little, a little bit sidetracked. texas wedding that's that's big stuff texas Cause... wedding and uh the i was trying to come up with like a fun silk road pun for like bringing all the beer back but i couldn't like nothing fit hmm. like the beer road i don't know it was feels like there wasn't enough to it but anyway brought a bunch of beer back aside from the yingling got some good craft beer and that one of these is what we're starting off with today. Uh, it's called High Point uh, from Pegasus City Brewing in Dallas, Texas. It is a porch ale. Um, and I don't want to disclose too much information about the studio, but technically this is a porch studio. So it's uh, in sunny California. In sunny California. Yeah. <laughs> Up in the hills. But the name doesn't play as much. Well, uh, it's not bad. But it's got that, um, what's the style called again? Um, bu- 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 the style of the buildings, like the 60s. We oh, talked about a lot last Art week. Deco? Yeah. Uh, it's got a very Art Deco style can. It does. It does. Um, kind of a big clock. Uh, it's actually modeled or named after the highest building in downtown Dallas. Um, very um, Gadsby-esque lettering and... Um, yeah, the the clock on the cover looks like it could be reminiscent of some, you know, uh, old jazz project or something like that. It's it's got a vibe to it. Yeah. It's it's very cool. I like it a lot. Yeah, the uh, the mercantile building in downtown Dallas, the highest point in the city until 1954. Uh, a multi and delicious flagship ale, first created and enjoyed on a porch looking out upon that very building. When the clock strikes five, find your favorite seat on the porch and celebrate the high point of your day. All right. 
Well, we're not quite at five yet. I think as we're recording, it's about two p.m. here in sunny California. But uh, you know, let's uh, for our friends a few time zones away. Let's uh, crack open the conversation. There you go. Thanks. I told you I'd let you say it one of these times. <laughs> That's it, though, right? That's it. Yeah. Now you gotta just gotta pay me from here on out. That seems fair. Mm. That's a nice, like amberish color. Yeah, definitely. Um, lots of little bubbles coming up off the bottom. Yeah, nice and like, nice carb, nice and see through. I mean, very, very much a uh, 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 filtered, you know, golden ale. This looks like something that you would just looks like the color of a beer. You'd just see a bunch of people sitting around drinking out of classic shaker pints at like a dive bar. Yep. And I mean that in the best kind of ways. This those are my favorite places to be. This is what I like to see in my beer after a long day. Like just something like this, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, that's weird. I I'm not sure what a port ale is, like a, what that style is. I'm getting like a almost like a well water kind of like irony. Yeah, but in a weird kind of way, like, I know what you're saying. I, yeah. I, I agree. Like, right off the get-go, like, the nose on it, before it even touches my lips, very reminiscent of, like, a Miller High Life. Yeah. But does not finish like that at all. Mm-hmm. It leaves almost nothing, if anything, almost a little bit of sweetness. Yep. Like, Just, like you get a touch of malt, and then, yeah, you get, like, that well water... In like a good way, that well water irony. Definitely get that, yeah. And then like a yeah, a little malt, a little sweet, and it's gone. The Porch. tail, honestly, like what it's leaving in my mouth, that little bit almost kind of reminds me of like our Tupelo honey at Bald Man. Mm. Yeah. Just a faint sweetness. Yeah. It's just really light. All That's right. That's not bad. All right. Well, we'll uh, I'm gonna stew on this one for a bit. But what uh, what say we dive into that pot summary? What say we do? Um, so this one, uh, Incredibles 2 starts off right where Incredibles 1 left off. Um, the underminer had just come up from the, below the stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, the Incredibles family kind of jumps into action. Uh, we have a little flashback kind of thing, like a flash forward flashback where, um, the boy that Violet, or the boy that had just asked Violet on a date sees her without her mask on. And I love that, like that, I love that little play where like, like Superman, like that was always kind of a joke where he just doesn't wear his glasses and no one knows his identity. Right. Yeah. Like the same kind of goofy shit. They're wearing like a very small piece of black fabric over their face. Yes. And no one can figure out who they are. Yeah. Pretty goofy. You got to suspend a little disbelief there. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it was kind of a dig at the trope. So it was fun. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they go through that. Um, they have this big battle with the Underminer. Um, he kind of tears through the city, almost crashes into City Hall. And kind of back to that trope of before where, like, superheroes are outlawed. People are pissed off because they destroyed this whole city or, like, destroyed a bunch of bridges. Right. Like, they saved a bunch of lives and, like, the Underminer was doing it to rob a bank. And then the government employees, when they're grilling Mr. Incredible later, are like, we're insured for this. Had you not done anything, 
it would have been just our building, but instead you ruined the town. Yeah, he says something, he being Mr. Incredible, says something to the effect of, uh, well, do you just want me to stand there and do nothing? And they're like, yes. Yep. Exactly. Uh, Which, maybe I missed something, but don't they have a brand new house right at like the beginning of this film? Like, they have a much nicer home than the end of Incredibles 2. I mean, their house gets destroyed in Incredibles 2. Yeah. And their new house is in that same kind of style, but much more glass and much fancier upscale. Yeah. The weird thing, though, is... I mean, like we like you mentioned right off the bat, this movie is right on the heels of the first Incredibles. I don't remember that. I don't remember the new house, I guess. Like, there's the one they move into later, but... Is that the one you're talking about? I guess I'm trying to figure out where are they at the start of the film. Well, at the start of the film, it's like literally they're in the parking lot fighting the Underminer. Right. Yep. And then it kind of rolls to the whole battle, like the back and forth um, scene cuts with Ethan, I think the kid's name is. The yeah. boy who asked Violet out. Then we're in a Tommy. car. Tommy? Or I thought Ethan? it was Tommy. I'm pretty sure it's Ethan. Um, but either way, yeah, they're arguing back and forth, or those scene cuts back and forth. Um, Rick Dicker is back for another round, uh, wipes Tommy's brain of the incident, and then they, um, he's kind of grilling Mr. Incredible. They put him up in a motel, and they're like, this is it. I'm retired. Like, you guys are on your own. Um, so the, the Incredibles family is kind of in dire straits. They're stuck in this motel. Um, they got about two weeks and then none other, but Frozone shows up at the door. Uh, he was approached by some strangers in a car. Uh, don't talk to strangers, kids, but in this instance, it worked out. Um, and they go to a meeting in, at this big high rise downtown, um, and meet with this superhero fan. Um, he's a big media conglomerate guy big fan of superheroes tells this story of how his dad like had direct lines to different superheroes um and then we kind of learn a little backstory is um after the superheroes were outlawed uh the robber a robber broke into his dad's building and instead of going to the panic room his dad tried to call a superhero to come save him and none, nobody answered because superheroes have been outlawed. And his dad straight up got murdered. Which they didn't like even even in the Pixar fashion beat around what happened. No. Like straight up there was a video or a picture of the guy pointing a gun and shooting it. Yeah. And I was like, oh. Yeah. All right. And now his son, uh, Winston Dever, yep. played by Bob Odenkirk, is... Uh continuing the legacy and yeah like you said media guy big big tech mogul probably comparable to like an elon musk maybe or bill gates i'm just trying to think big wealth yeah you know a lot of money yeah big wealth kind of stuff but also like a big fanboy, a little very articulate but also a little immature yeah i mean he's like singing all the superheroes like theme songs which was another kind of fun trope because all of the theme songs were the exact same melody, just with the names changed. Yep. Yeah. Um, so that was fun. 
Uh, then we meet his sister, uh, the tech mogul's sister. Why is her name escaping me? Yeah. I know. Um, I don't want to spoil anything for those of you that haven't seen it. Although, if you haven't uh, seen it, you Evelyn. Can... Evelyn Dever. Yes. <laughs> Evelyn Dever. Um, and, yeah, meet her. She's kind of like the brains behind the operation. He's more the hype man. Um, she's like an inventor. Yeah, she's the artsy one. He's kind of the face of it. Like, I think she's, she says at one point that um, I'm the genius basically behind all of his public creations. He just sells, sells, yeah, sells, yeah. sells. He's a, she's an inventor. He's a salesman. He's a salesman, yeah. Um, but they kind of outline this plan they have to get superheroes legalized. You know, yeah. Hashtag legalize it. And, uh, yeah, they kind of put this plan together, uh, but they decide they want to use Missing, um, or Elastigirl, because she does less damage in her encounters than Mr. Incredible does. Which is also, like, kind of something that, again, we talked about last week, like, this is a pretty modern take on superheroes, like, they have a tracker that, you know tells them the number of casualties injuries property damage and all of their their callings or their rescues you know Mm -hmm. which is kind of a funny little joke that like mr incredible was just thought he was going to be a shoe-in and they're like yeah you're a little bit of a loose cannon we don't quite need that we don't need you to punch things or break things we need a little more nuance to it yeah um and at that point i mean Fair to say, um, Elastigirl, I said that weird, Elastigirl, uh, more or less just becomes kind of our lead for the rest of the movie. Yeah, which is kind of a fun thing, because, like, you know, last movie is all about Mr. Incredible. Yep. And Elastigirl coming to save his ass. Yep. Um, and then this one, Elastigirl is kind of the, yeah, she's the main person. She's the one that, uh, yeah, main character of the movie. Mr. Incredible uh, enjoys, or rather tries to survive, single dad life for the better part of the film. Yep. Um, So that was, yeah, kind of an interesting twist on it. I liked it. Yeah. Um, And then they, so then it's kind of this back and forth, Mr. Incredible struggling to raise these kids, or take care of the kids, and Elastigirl out there, like, kind of living the high life, which, yeah. Yeah. and we end up at her first, like, mission. Um, they had implanted all of these cameras in her suit to kind of give the first-hand experience of what actually went down. Because all basically the main point was all people see is the numbers after the fact. They right. don't see what choices you had to make. Right. So they put a bunch of cameras in the suit. That way people can see this footage yeah. and realize there's a lot of tough choices to be made. Right. Um, but anyway, they get an intercept uh, that this new high-speed bullet train was going to be, or there was going to be some trouble there. That was um, So Elastigirl shows up, train starts taking off, and then it fires down the wrong way on the tracks, um, just basically going to crash. So there's a big chase scene, Elastigirl finally, like, separates the part of the car that has all like the diplomats politicians riding in it then breaks into the car running it car pulling the train 
finds a person and they've been hypnotized. Um, like I said, ends up saving the train and then they kind of talk about it a little bit more. Um, after that, she ends up on a, um, like a talk show kind of pushing the dialogue. Yes. Yeah. Um, ends up on a talk show and all of a sudden the talk show gets like all the people on the talk show get hypnotized. Mm -hmm. Um, and we learned that villain's name is the screen slaver. Yes. Um, talking about everybody's dependence on screens and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And that's how they're hypnotizing all the people. Just want to insert real quick. I think we missed one thing. Elastabike. We got to see that right before this (laughs) when, uh, she was stopping the train, right? Yeah. And, yeah this is a cool vehicle very cool very weird like like a it's a it's a motorcycle that can just split in half yeah and she uses her body as like a basically a giant shock absorber or like stretchy frame it's yeah weird but very cool very much a throwback to like every 60s superhero having either a sidekick or a weird super vehicle so yeah it's kind of cool yeah her super yeah that like that whole scene where she's well, actually that's in a little bit here. No, that was in this where she was driving like off of billboards, like she was like on a rooftop at some point. Yeah. And like just driving like basically splitting up the wheels and stretching between buildings. And like grinding it like across yeah. billboards and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Driving I'm, on the sides of buildings. I'm glad we got that scene because it was the only one because at the end of that scene she uh one. destroys it. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I guess it never really comes back, does it? No, no. Don't ever get a new one. It was implied, though, that it was created by, was it, uh, what was her name, Devlin? Is that what we said? Um, no. Evelyn. 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 Evelyn created that yep. That bike, the new version of it, which is kind of cool. Yeah, and it sounded like it was kind of based off her old bike. Yeah, she used like, to ride a motorcycle, which even uh, Bob didn't know. Yep, <laughs> which was, yeah, that was fun. But sorry, I just yeah. wanted to insert that there. Back to the talk it show. Cool, it was a cool bike. It yeah. was. Uh, back to Nate's talk show, where I talk about talk shows while talking on my talk show <laughs> with good butts. Um, yeah, the talk show. Talk show gets taken over, and she kind of goes, or um, basically, they the screen slaver mentions that. This diplomat flying in this helicopter uh, brigade or caravan. Um, that That's where the screen slaver was attacking next. So she gets out and she ends up taking over the hell or taking over one of the helicopters, kind of fighting her way through it, dodging other. It was a cool air battle, like some very expensive looking helicopters flying around, dodging each other. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and she ends up saving a diplomat. And this scene, um, kind of the resolution of the scene kind of pushed things forward. Because everybody was like cheering, happy that she saved this girl or this diplomat. But she was kind of like, well, the screen slaver is still out there. Right. Um, and, the, and she kind of devises a way to track them, find the origin, sets up a little trap. The whole tracking of the screen slaver just like, I don't know. I don't really know where a good time to insert this this thought would be. Maybe at the end of the show, too, we'll come back to it. But, like, uh, 
that was like the second scene kind of like the motorcycle scene where it's like we have this crazy elaborate she's like flying through the sky through rooftops trying to get to this place mm-hmm. but there she's just kind of swinging like it's very much a spider-man-esque type yep. scene where she's trying to get to this guy's apartment and you you know tracking him um but was the monologue not really jarring to you that was going on the whole time I guess I like as really she's swinging there's like it. a monologue like you know modern media is controlling oh, yeah. your mind they're trying to take over your free will death to media death to technology do not give in do not be powerless do and it was like a very weird like and I kept waiting all right it's gonna end and then it's not and it's gonna end and it's not, it was a long scene it was like a just two minutes of just uninterrupted rambling by an off-screen character and it wasn't funny Mm -hmm. i the first time i saw it i tried to ignore it because i was like this is weird then i went back i listened to just that and yeah it didn't really push the plot at all it was just kind of like i was hoping i'd maybe find something about it the fun facts or the easter eggs but I just wanted to throw that out there. It felt very jarring. It felt very out of plat, out of place. Well, I think I think that well, and maybe you could even kind of chalk it up to like foreshadowing, because like she, she get finds the apartment, uh, dukes it out with the screen slaver, rips his mask off, and um, guy just kind of seems confused, but like you can kind of tell something's fishy right off the bat, um. Like puts him puts him in the police car and he keeps saying like where am i what's going on what's happening here i'm no screen slaver but like clearly she just fought him yeah um, what a, a lot of weird social commentary for when this movie came out too because this would have been 2018 and it was you know i gotta imagine that the whole you know outlaw the superheroes kind of parallels the defund the police thing the whole you know film the superheroes parallels the film the police thing and like just some weird stuff that felt kind of just uh a little maybe out of touch i mean there's even a scene where that guy's sitting in the car and says something to the effect of like why am i here i didn't do anything and he's like yeah 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 just blame yourself don't blame the system or something about to that effect and i was just kind of like "Mm, this is interesting but yeah it was i don't know it was Tone deaf, maybe the word I was looking for. Like, it felt like, you know, a lot of Pixar movies kind of try to stand on their own. But this one, there are multiple scenes where I'm like, oh, they're trying to be very, like, modern with this. But it's kind of working against them. Yeah, like a weird nuance that they kind of missed. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I I guess I could see that. That whole scene, like, I I don't know, maybe this time watching it through because, like, I had seen it before but kind of like lost um i i wasn't paying it as much attention to that scene because i knew it was coming um but yeah so they end up um yeah they caught him they have this big celebration party elastigirl meets a bunch of new people and or a bunch of new supers they kind of have like this welcome party talking about how she's helped them all kind of come to terms with being superheroes and how they can help people. And then she just kind of gets it in her head that some, it seemed too easy of a fight for this overarching villain. 
um, that the villain would have been too smart to be caught like that. And brings us up to Evelyn. Um, she's got the the mask from the screen slaver, and she kind of in front of Evelyn, she kind of like flips it inside out and notices that there's screens on the inside of this mask, and that the person that she fought was being mind controlled. At which point, Evelyn puts some goggles on her with screens for eyes and hypnotizes Elastigirl. Um, and that's kind of... Now we kind of step into the final act. Yeah. Um, where all the supers are getting these goggles put on them. Um, we find out Evelyn is actually the bad guy. And she kind of goes into a monologue. Um, her motivation is a more... Or again, with her her parents' death, she sees it in a different light where instead of her father trying to call superheroes and being dependent on them, he should have just went to the safe room. And her whole arc is that people depend on the supers for things they can solve themselves. Yes. Yeah. Um, so what she's trying to do is essentially outlaw all supers. Or right. keep them outlawed and outlaw them forever. So she's going to use mind control to make them do some very evil things so that... They get a bad rep. Yeah, and everybody turns against them. Right. Um, and kind of start going with that plan. And she's doing it behind her husband, husband's back. Or, her, excuse me, not her husband. Her, her, her brother's uh, her back. Her brother's back, yeah. sorry. Her brother Weird. has no idea what's going on. Which I was waiting for his turn kind of the whole time, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, you kind of, I don't know, when there's, like, a, yeah, saving character early in a movie, like, enough time, we've been burned enough times to know, like, uh, people that seem too helpful or too good tend to not be. Yeah, and even when they're, like, touring his place and stuff like that, they're kind of like, this is a lot, you know, early mm -hmm. on. They're unsure of his wealth. Yep. Um, but, yeah, so they kind of, playing kind of evolves um evelyn sends some of the brainwashed supers to get uh get a last or kidnap elastigirl's kids and put goggles on them and yeah but between them and frozone and the return of mr incredible's car the kids manage to escape yes um, and they go to this boat that apparently a bunch of world leaders are meeting on my world leaders got to meet on a boat. Whatever. It's fine. Kind of weird. But yeah. It's rich people things, I guess. Eat the rich. Um, and so the kids find out that that's where their dad and mom are. So they take the car to try to go rescue them. Um, also, during this whole thing, the family learns Jack-Jack has powers, which kind of creates some antics, but is not... <laughs> actually important to the story at all like it's like this weird subplot thing that keeps happening right but never makes any sort of meaningful impact on the story i would agree with that yeah, yeah. just like like they spent a lot of time on it where i was like okay this is going to become important later and then it just doesn't just doesn't right yeah like help like jack jack helps in the this fight but, like, not more than anybody else. Even, like, less than Violet and Jack or Dash do. 
Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an infant, which is fine. But, like, for the amount of time they spent on that line, that storyline, it just, I don't know, it felt weird. I will say he's pretty crucial in helping Violet and and Dash find Mr. and Mrs. Incredible and helping them get there. While he does uh, sidetrack yeah. them at times, he is kind of like, uh, in a weird way, like a portal that they can use to, to easier get to where they need to be, I guess. Yeah, because I guess in the scene where, where when they when the kids finally get to the boat um after everybody's been hypnotized um jack jack is trying to go find his mom and they kind of use him to track down his mom which okay i'll give you that but that could have happened without all the jack jack story like that was all yeah. like fluffer pieces to kind of break up the Elastigirl storyline. Maybe Jack-Jack's just setting up for the, the third Incredibles film. I mean, he's by far the most powerful out of yes. any of the family members. Absolutely. Absolutely. We've got like 20 powers that we know of. Can shapeshift, uh, can travel between dimensions, and still be heard yep. on Earth. Laser beam eyes. Laser beam eyes, can shapeshift into a demon. Walk through walls. Yeah, like fire baby, metal baby, has powers of all the elements. Yep. You know? Yeah, he's got a lot. And then also when he sneezes, he shoots up like a rocket. Did he sneeze or did he fart? I thought oh. he farted when he blasted up in uh, in Edna's house. I thought I'm pretty sure it was a sneeze because like I was like that, uh, and then chew and it shoots off. That could have been. I thought it was a fart. Oh yeah, he can also fly, or hover. Like, remember, like, he was falling down, and then he, like, kind of caught himself and, like, was spinning around. Can control gravity. Yeah. Yeah, he's... A little OP. He's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, if this, if The Incredibles was a video game, I'm playing as uh, Jack-Jack. Exactly. Your controls only work half the time, but you have infinity powers. Yes. That'd be a fun twist. I like that. Actually, there's a fun game called Octodad. I'm familiar with Octodad. you played Octodad? I've never played it, but I've watched <sighs> gameplay. It's great. Uh... Basically, you have all of your limbs run independent. Yeah. And you have to complete some very menial tasks. But again, all of your limbs are independent. So you have to like be holding or doing like four things on the controller at once just to like walk across the lawn. There was an old game that was similar to that. Do you remember the game uh, Happy Wheels? Uh-uh. It was like a similar physics to Happy Wheels, but it's like you had a guy or a, a woman and... They were like in an athletic stance and then it would start and you'd have to make them run and try to get as far as you could on like okay. a track and like doing it using like six keys to control their limbs and their, their torso. And it was very hard. It was very easy to just hit two keys, mess up right away. Your character does the splits and you got to restart. Like, okay. Like a flash game. Eh, similar. Yeah. Maybe a step up. Maybe just after that kind of era of Flash games, but okay, um, reminds me of a little bit of like an Octodad, kind of that similar, just goofy physics. Yeah, and actually, Octodad kind of fits the aesthetic of these movies, but it does. I digress. Um, so yeah, I mean, at this point, we're basically at uh, once the kids get to the parents. Yeah, um, then it's kind of the the kids get the masks off the parents. And then they all kind of actively start working to get the masks off of all the other supers. 
Um, Which is relatively easy. Yeah, yeah. It does not seem hard for anybody to do that. And at that point, then it's just try to stop the ship. Yep. Um, So everybody's working together to turn the ship around or like to stop the ship from crashing into the city. And Evelyn takes off in this jet. Elastigirl goes after her. They kind of have this battle. She ends up like ejecting Evelyn through the cockpit out into, the, and then Evelyn's just free falling um, into the ocean. And alas, the girl ends up going to save her. Um, and they stop the boat. And that pretty much does it. Like there's kind of a scene. We're basically at the same point we were at the beginning of the, or at the end of Incredibles 1 where, like, people are happier with supers. I guess technically they're legal now, but, like... Yeah. Like, it, it kind of finishes in the same part it started. I mean, Frozone really saves the day at the end. He saves the day. He's basically the main one to get the ship to come to a stop. Um, kind of turns everything to snow so it doesn't destroy everything on land. But yeah, after that, um, well, I guess the final scene is, um, it was, uh, Robbie was the name of the, the, uh, um, the Violet's love interest. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. And so they picked up, uh, Robbie and they're taking him out to a movie. Mm -hmm. The family is, the whole family's in the car and they hear gunshots and they decide to, (laughs) They basically drop him off. She throws some money at him, says, I'll be back before the end of the previews. And they uh, take off in pursuit of these bad guys and throw their masks on. Yeah. So kind of so, ends with another adventure. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, more or less the exact same situation it started in. Basically. Yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was fine. It was, a, it, was a, it was a good movie. It was worth a watch. This movie ends almost exactly the same as how the first movie started. Sure. Okay. Mr. Incredible driving. Yep. I got time. Exactly. You we know? got to. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's pretty good. Um. Yeah. So it was, I don't want to say it was an anticlimactic finish, but like, I don't know. Nothing really changed through the whole movie. I wouldn't say there was like a whole lot of character development. I mean, Mr. Incredible got closer with his kids because he was always running off being like the provider and then there was that role reversal i liked seeing him in the dad role a lot i thought yeah elastigirl um helen parr she really got uh she really got a nice amount of time in this film that i thought was very just and very due to her character um yeah i don't know i can see how the ending feels a little anticlimactic uh the big thing for me is that uh I don't know. I just think they could have done a lot more with Bob Odenkirk's character as kind of the evil businessman, the salesman. I mean, he wasn't even evil, but yeah. just it would have been so easy to turn him just a few degrees and make him go that direction. Um, but they never did it, really. And I think when you get someone like Bob Odenkirk, just having him play squeaky, squeaky clean is like, it's fine. He can do that, but mm-hmm. he, he's such a a charming actor and like has that charm to him. He fits the salesman role perfectly, but uh, I just think they could have added another layer of depth, another layer of 
complexity to his character by making him show his bad tendencies towards the end of the film. Well, so I, I, I disagree with that a little bit because the like the, the parents' death scene was kind of like the the two sides of the same coin thing where he saw it as the reason his parents were killed was because supers were illegal. So he's actively trying to make them not illegal. The way Evelyn sees it is her parents were killed because her dad was trying to depend on superheroes instead of doing things on his own. Um, and that's why she was trying to outlaw supers. So they were working together, but working towards very different goals. Yeah. But like it was, yeah, it was kind of like a duality of like, I mean, it kind of showed the whole bit where like you only see the outcome, but you didn't see all the choices that had to be made or like how people view these supers. Like when they destroyed the town, some people see it, they destroyed the town. Some people see it as they stopped a bad guy and they stopped a bunch of bad things from happening. Right. So it was like, yeah, they both had very different views on what was going on, even though they're watching the same thing. They had the same details. Yeah, I guess it's just like, I mean, Evelyn kind of gets hers at the end, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, I keep drawing a blank on her brother's name, Winston. Yeah. Winston just kind of walks off and like right away at the end when everything's tying up, you know, after this ship is saved, he even kind of makes a comment about, you know, having more work for them down the line and they kind of laugh it off as a ha ha whatever Winston kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But like, it's, I definitely get that it's implied that the Incredibles don't fully trust this dude, but they're going to help him out and take his money if they have to kind of thing. And it's like, I don't like that. I don't like the fact that they just have this billionaire that's a tech mogul and he's totally aloof. Like he's, yeah, for lack of a better word, he's an idiot, True. but he's also a very charming idiot. And that's where I'm like, Oh, you can make this guy a super villain so easily. And it's Bob Odenkirk. It can be so good. And like in the end, that character really didn't even need to exist. Correct. It could have just been, and I would have been uh, totally okay with a femme fatale. I mean, you just you just adjust it where Evelyn runs this company, and that company is just a front for her other form of cyber tech. You know what I mean? It's a weird, like, evil Tony Stark type dynamic. Yeah. Versus, I think, I don't know, like, he was like a kind of a good distraction from what was actually happening. That's true. Because again, I like first I remember first time around like watching like oh that guy's gonna be evil. He's the bad guy. Yep. Yeah, he's the bad guy, and it's like nope, he was just a distraction for the actual bad person. Mm. Maybe makes his character even better. But I think what we're coming to is rich people don't face consequences and eat the rich. Anyway, uh, yeah, and that kind of sums up Incredibles 2. Yeah, huh. that's basically about it. Yeah, it was fine. It was fine. It was a lot of fun scenes. It was good. Yeah, yeah. a lot of superhero homages. Yes, most definitely. Uh, but yeah, what do you say we re- review this beer, take a quick break? kind of want another beer. That was kind of my thing. <laughs> I think that's a great idea. I, Let's, I, crushed, uh... I crushed through this pretty damn quick. It was good, man. This is a High Point uh, peg from Pegasus City Brewing. 
and it's uh, their porch ale. And uh, yeah, it's it's really good. It's really light, really refreshing. Nice kind of uh, just golden ale. Yeah. Um, I am after the during the break. I'll look up what style of porch ale is or what what characteristics they're supposed to have specifically. Um, I've never had a porch ale. Nope. I've never even heard of one. And I'm going to rate this one first since you did give this gift this to me. Sure. You brought it back for, for me. Little Just for me. You. Just, Just you, for you me. Know, exactly. All the way from Texas. Tejas. Where everything's bigger and better. Or so they say. Well, that's what they like to think. Um, this is the best porch ale I've ever had. <laughs> In the first one. Um, I would have another porch ale. But I'm going to... This I think this one's setting the bar pretty high. I'm going to give this... Uh, to give it a 3.9 okay i drink this again this is easy this is nice it's light looks cool yeah nothing off or offensive about it just very pleased with this one yep um i'm gonna go a little higher but you should probably take my review with a grain of salt because like i went through some trouble to bring it back and you know like when you put a lot of effort into something you yeah little rose-colored glasses definitely but i really enjoyed this um i liked that it was very light and crushable but still with plenty of good flavor there was plenty of good characteristics that weird like like i said that weird well water ish bit at the front it kind of went away as it warmed up uh, but that little weird well water bit i really enjoyed that i really like well water (laughs) Like, I, I don't know. Me too. Grew up on it. Yeah. Feels like I'm just out in the middle of nowhere. I love it. Um, I'm going to go, like, I'm going to go 4-3 on this one. That's a I, good score from Big Nate. I really like that. Um, really like the can. Like the matte finish on it. Um, yeah, 4-3. The High Point, uh, high point Porch Ale. Uh, would recommend if you're ever in Dallas. Yeah. yeah. All right. And we don't know why you would be. But <laughs> I don't know. I didn't know shout why. out to all of our Dallas listeners. I didn't mean to <laughs> poop on your city. Uh, but yeah, appreciate that, Nate. Hey, appreciate no the you taking us through the plot of Incredibles 2 and bringing us back some uh, zesty foamers. Mm. But uh, yeah, we're going to take a quick little break. And during our break, we're going to deliberate what our next beer is because we, uh, we got a few to choose from. So stay tuned. Good evening, everyone. Is she all right? Normally, she doesn't ever drip like this. Would, uh, would you like water, sir? Yes. Yes, I would. This is my daughter, who you must know, right? Hello. Violet. Hello, Violet. <laughs> hey, Vi, say hi to... Don't push it, Dad. I'm Dash, her little brother. Hello. Mmm, this is really good water. It's very refreshing. Spring water, is it? I don't know, sir. I think it's tap. Well, it is very good. Excellent tap. Excuse me. Oh, nice to meet you. Where did she go? Uh, to find a good place to be angry. What's up, everybody? We are back. Nate is in studio doing vape tricks. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to keep us on track here, trying to keep the train on the tracks. We don't have a Elastigirl to save us here. They, they call me Vape Nathan. That's vape, my superhero name. Vape Nathan, name. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, 
I think Nate's getting a little lightheaded, maybe a little yeah, dehydrated. Yeah, dehydrated He's looking a little, for sure. Looking a little off color over there. Oh. So uh, a little little jaundice starting mm-hmm. to set in. Scurvy, maybe. Scurvy, yes. So this next beer should help with that. Yeah, so we're going to get Nate some uh, some fruit in his system. Mm. We're drinking a tropical face punch. Whoosh, ka-tsh, whoosh. hope those were cool comic sounds. Um, <laughs> whoosh. So also Dave might just dub over it with actual ones. <laughs> uh, yes, do that. <laughs> uh, this comes from uh, Central Waters Brewing Company, which is out of uh, Scanny. Scanny. It's uh, brewed and canned. In oh, so it's a spotted cow? Amherst, Wisconsin. It is not a spotted cow. But I feel like spotted cow is the yinling of the Midwest. Yes. I I forgot that I didn't make that. It's the spotted cow effect where yes. I can't get it, so I want it. Uh, but this here is a fruited New England style IPA, which only had a few of those. Um, I'm excited. Yeah. So... Cheers! Let's crack open the conversation. Let's spill all over my leg, which I just did. Hey, look! You didn't. It's, it's less than half foam this time. Oh, it's a great pour. I only do great pours, Nate. That's right. Start, Nate's been a suds bud for almost a year, and he's still trying to figure out how to pour out of crowlers. He'll get okay. There. Let's start cataloging all your pours and my pours, and then we'll show. I could not make those pours more even if I tried. Well, I mean, you could if you gave me more, because you spilled yours on your lap. Yeah, but I did that just in the name of making them even. I've okay. <laughs> Pretty sure that's not how liquids work. It's uh displacement and whatnot physics, dude. Fit ah shit, I always forget about physics. But this is a hefty boy. This one uh comes to us uh comes in at nine point two five percent. Holy fruit, okay. Uh, crack open this juice-packed IPA and soak in the sun. Double dry hop with trident hops and bursting with cherries, pineapple, grapefruit, and tangerines. Definitely yeah. getting the pineapple off the nose. And we're splitting a 12-ounce can because it's a hefty boy. So what? Yeah, eight? 9.25. So we're, we're bordering on malt liquor at this point. Oh, that's good. Whew. They're trying to hide it, but that alcohol's there. You know, I think. Sorry if we're picking up sirens in the background. This um tastes a lot like an ocean spray, like grapefruit juice, and yeah. I feel like that bitterness that you get right in your mouth that just kind of puckers you covers up the alcohol a little bit. Because I mean, this is a for a New England IPA, this is a pretty bitter beer. And for a fruited beer. Mm-hmm. But it's like bitter from the fruit, I feel like. Not necessarily from the brewing process. I mean... The fruit being like the grapefruit and the hops. Um, the grapefruit, maybe. Like I said, it it's kind of hard to figure out. Because, yeah, I can... I mean, I can for sure taste the alcohol hiding in there. It's that, like, dry... That dryness you get from the alcohol. Yeah. And that's hiding there. But, like, it's right... It's like in tandem with the grapefruit so like it's kind of i'm not sure which one's coming through um but i really like this this is, this is really good but this is probably as much of it well i could probably do a 12 ounce can but i would for sure need to go to something else a full can would definitely destroy my cheeks i feel like it'd be the equivalent of like eating a bag of salt and vinegar chips Ooh, which I, I love but yep. it would melt my mouth actually um I learned to like those out of spite when I was younger because, like, whenever there was bags of chips or snacks in the house, 
you know, me and my siblings would eat them. And my parents started getting upset about that. So they started buying salt and vinegar because the kids don't like salt and vinegar. So then we learned to enjoy those out of spite because we will not be stopped. Um, so then we could still eat their chips. So I love salt and vinegar. Kind of like the same thing with um, um, Amari's cookies. <laughs> Orida. Orida's, yeah. Otilla. 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 Onita. Yes, the heavy vanilla cookies. Yes. Yeah, I think I, yeah, I went into that whole bit. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Multiple yeah. times. Yeah, well, you know, they're, they are cookies. They got that classic old lady flavor. Well, on that note of old lady flavor, what do you say we give you some fun facts? Jesus, Nate. Hey, you you made it weird. Everybody else knows what I was talking about. I, I apologize in advance here for, for Nate's language, one, and two, for uh, this week's fun facts, in my mind, are kind of meh. But I'll make them fun. Don't worry we'll about We'll make it, them fun for you. I said I'll make them fun. So, uh... Did you know that the hair in Incredibles 2 looks super different than hair in any other Pixar film because Pixar developed a new hair program specifically for this movie? So uh, each of the characters now has digitally grown hair on their scalp, which is meant to react more realistically to gravity and look less quote-unquote floaty and light. Um, The last time that Pixar... uh, the last time the Pixar hair program was revisited was with uh, 2001's Monsters, Inc. for Sully. Mm, sure, sure, sure. So. With the thousands of millions of hairs on Sully. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense for Violet and Dash, specifically. Yeah. Because they're, I mean, they're running around, they're doing crazy shit. Um, I mean, Dash with his hair constant, or constantly going hundreds of miles an hour yep yep so uh yeah a little fun fact there uh but moving along did you know that the super suits in incredibles 2 look very different from the ones in the first incredibles largely because uh animation technology has just advanced so much um these two movies watching them I didn't really, like, they did just such a good job with the first one that, like, nothing stood out. It wasn't like the Toy Story 1 and then end up in, ending up at Toy Story 4 yeah. kind of effect. No jarring differences like that. A um, little smoother, a little sleeker. Yeah. I think the new one maybe looks a little more... Is cartoony the right word? The first one felt like they were really trying to look like exaggerated real people kind of characters. Even like the scenes in like Bob's office and stuff. Like you see people's like pores and their stubble and their bald spots. And like this movie just felt a little more cleaned up. And for lack of a better word, maybe you could just kind of kitty felt like kind of more sure. of a, a lighter tone film. I mean, other than the guy in the first 15 minutes getting straight up murdered, sure. Yeah. 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 Again, they're like, I, we, I know we talked about it last week, how a bunch of people died in that movie, but like, they always kind of danced around it or never directly addressed it. In this one, people straight up die. I mean, they had the casualty counter. Yeah. And it was like, okay. Yeah. Little, like, that. that's not just overtly dark. That is straight up dark. It's true. You know, with Finding Nemo with, like, Coral, 
We don't necessarily know that she died. Maybe she ran off with the Barracuda. It's Who knows? Heavily implied. Well, yeah, but implied doesn't... Necessarily... I don't think she's coming back. Especially with the lifespan of a clownfish being, what do we figure out, four years? She was dead like 10 years ago. Dude. Well, yeah, but Marlon should have been dead as hell for that next movie. Yeah, but... but they weren't. I guess. He just really... He's he's a medical marvel. <laughs> a med- I don't know, man. He's a medical Marlin. He's a, he's a fish. <laughs> Friggin' got him. Um, anyways, about the super suits, though, if you look closely, you can see a thicker weave in the suits in Incredibles 2 versus Incredibles 1, which uh, leads to more folding, creasing, and uh, more texture when the characters are moving, so. Which I would argue doesn't necessarily make a better super suit. No. You know, you don't necessarily want creases. You want it, you know, skin tight. It's, uh, it's more to hide your identity and also show off that you're a badass superhero, and if you're coming in with, like, a wrinkly-ass super suit, I don't know, man. <laughs> if you're a superhero, maybe you can afford some dry cleaning. That's all I'm going to say. Next fun fact, please. Thanks for that, Nate. <laughs> uh, did you know The Incredibles and Incredibles 2 were both supposed to take place in the mid-century era, a.k.a. the 50s and 60s? Um, yeah, at one point, Bob is holding a newspaper that says 1962 in this film, and, uh, director and creator Brad Bird clarified that the films are very much 1960s influenced, um, but with advanced gadgets, uh, just like James Bond movies or an episode of Johnny Quest, so, which, got some issues with that, too, I think... The first movie being a timepiece and being so self-aware of that and really leaning into that was one of its biggest saving graces and one of its biggest high points. This movie is a movie that wants to vaguely remind us that it's uh, we're in the 60s, but really does kind of a, a shoddy job at doing it, I think. Even just like the plot of this movie is very high concept for 1960s espionage superhero. I mean, we're talking about like tech moguls which really you really didn't have in the 60s and even when you did they didn't yeah broadcast moguls but like he wasn't really dealing with broadcast as much he i mean like he he became yeah that family became rich like every family that becomes rich they got money from their parents right but winston was very much i felt spoofed on like a modern day tycoon not a 1960s one Mm. yeah i guess i mean there's that like their boat that had the largest hydrofoil in the world. Yeah. Like, he like, specifically said that. I don't know. It's just kind of weird. Like, even when they got to, like, the, um... I think the big moment that took me out of it was when they got to the, um... Screen Slavers lair, initially. Mm-hmm. The walls kind of lit up, and you realize he was sitting in, like, a giant server room or something. And it's just like, alright, this feels like, you know... this This doesn't feel like... 1960s anymore this feels very modern very much like i'm watching a you know some new spider-man movie or something which by the way spider-man into the spider-verse if you haven't seen it i know that's not new fantastic holy shit it's good so pretty yeah and see this like that scene felt more in line with that than the incredibles whereas like the first movie was did a pretty good job of staying true to the time it was trying to portray well yeah because like the futuristic tech that was shown in those kind of movies was like it was futuristic but you still had like a remote 
that like you'd pull out of your couch. And when your and, car wanted to go faster, you still had like a giant rocket that would come out of the back and propel it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And this one was like, yeah, it was like much more gimmicky. Yeah. In the last one. Yeah. I guess I didn't really put that together. But yeah, this one feels a little newer. a little Yeah. More modern mixed in with the 50s, 60s. And maybe for kids, it doesn't matter. But I said it many times last episode that. Uh, the first Incredibles felt like a adult movie disguised as a kid's movie and in the best kind of ways. Um, just kind of preyed on uh, adults' nostalgia for their childhood, you know, mm-hmm. growing up with comic books and things like that. Um, whereas this movie, I feel like Incredibles 2 gets a little further away from its identity and I don't think it helps it at all. Yeah. But that's that's my opinion. Is it? Uh, I'll look it up. You can keep going with your thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, did you know that Jack Jack's uh, voice in both movies is the voice of supervising animator Tony Fusile's son, uh, Eli? And Eli was now 16 years old when Incredibles 2 came out, because we discussed it last episode. 14 years between these two movies. Um, but being that Eli was 16 when this movie came out, he wasn't able to do the baby sounds, obviously. However, um, they had used a boom mic for hours during the production of the first Incredibles to record him as a child. So basically, they had enough audio from production of the first movie to use it again for the second movie similar to like we've heard that before with uh the don rickles case for mr potato head yep where they can just chop i mean i gotta imagine it was easier this time because you're just chopping up goo goo gagas yep and yeah. then throwing it in right um but also i mean jack's had again with his whole side storyline in this one he had a lot more screen time in this one than the first one by yeah large margin Probably the second biggest character behind uh, Elastigirl, mm-hmm. Ellen Parr. And, uh, again, Jack-Jack's storyline was mostly meaningless. But that's fine. It was fun. It was fun to watch was that raccoon fight scene. That was a fun one. Or the scene where, like, he kept uh, going into a portal in the sky. And, like, we kind of got the feeling that he knew how to go up, but he didn't know how to land coming down. So, like, Bob has to, like, dive in the pool to catch him. Yep. I love that. Yep. Um, any scene with Edna and Jack was, oh my God. I love Edna even Edna's, more after this film. Edna is such a fun character. She makes a comment. She's like, I have no time for children. I'm an artist. Like, I'm like, I love this so much. Yep. And then by the end of it, she's like, oh no, leave the baby. I love the baby. Like, <laughs> no charge for the baby. That like you, you like almost wonder what her ulterior motives are, but then you kind of just determine that she likes a challenge. She likes a challenge, and I think she's just kind of lonely. Like she's very kind of crass at times and kind of harsh, snarky, but she seems to enjoy the company that sometimes she's, yeah, you know, being For, that's with. forced upon her. Yes. Yeah. Yes. She, like she is always acts always acts upset when they show up, but then like loves to have them over. Her first line to to Bob Parr in the first movie when she like puts her nose up. Oh my God, who is it? My God, you've gotten fat. <laughs> <laughs> who is this woman? <laughs> yes, ruthless. Yeah, 
Um, I'm trying to remember if it was the first one or the second one. There was this line that she had. Um, it'll come to me in a bit here. I don't know. But, yes, fantastic character. And, again, modeled after, like, those art collectors from, like, the 50s and 60s. And I think I made that comparison about that Always Sunny episode where Frank dresses up and he looks exactly like Edna. Yeah. Yep. I, I didn't include this because I couldn't find any reference to it, but... Uh... I did come across a fun fact that said that her look was inspired by a mushroom, <laughs> which I think is kind of funny because if you just silhouette her, she basically looks the same as Toad from Mario. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, at least above like the head or above the, excuse me, above the shoulders. Yeah. Um, I mean, above the head too. Yeah, yeah. If you were to silhouette. They're both nothing. Exactly. Exactly. So you're technically right there. It's deep. Um, <laughs> we're all nothing above the head, bro. Uh, yeah, and they were, we're all just a bunch of atoms, man. Welcomes the suds, bud, bruh. Yeah. We're good suds. Smoke a lot of bud. Sure, buds philosophize St- suds. We're really bad impersonating stoners. <laughs> <laughs> I've, yeah. I've never even met one in my life. That's same. Where are they, you know? <laughs> yeah. Who's trying to legalize it? uh moving along uh did you know that jack jack's fire effect never includes any smoke or embers why you might ask uh because animators wanted to make sure it was clear that jack jack is the source of the fire and he is not on fire so they actually kind of modeled like uh sorry excuse me like uh instant light like charcoal briquettes something that just kind of like starts up and and flames come off it but you don't actually see it like it just combusts yeah but it doesn't really it's a clean deteriorate it's just a clean burn yeah yeah so huh they did not want the illusion that a child was burning simply that you know it's just a child on fire it's not a child burning it's a child on fire it's different it's just this this pc culture bullshit Shut up, Nate. You're going to get us canceled. (laughs) Moving along. Um, Bud Lucky. So, Bud Lucky was the voice of Rick Dicker in the first movie. He actually, unfortunately, passed away. Um, You might have heard us mention the name Bud Lucky before. He was a longtime uh, Pixar employee, Um, animator, director. He was a musician, just kind of a jack-of-all-trades. Um he directed the Pixar short Boundin. That was the one about the shepherd with, uh, there's a jackalope. Um, Pixar short from the early 2000s might have paired with The Incredibles, maybe with Finding Nemo. I don't remember. But uh, one of those that they like showed before, before a movie. Um, but yeah, Bud Lucky... Uh, he worked on a lot of Pixar films. He was also the voice of the um, the clown in Toy Story 3, the sad clown that kind of talks about how oh. he got, yeah, you know, kind of tells everyone that Lotso is not such a great guy. That's that. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. The sad clown that's happy at the end. Yep. Yeah. So that's Bud Lucky, but he was actually, um, he passed in 2018, at the age of, I believe, 84. 
um, and was replaced by Jonathan Banks, who many might know um, probably best for his work on Breaking Bad as Mike. So, okay. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, he kind of looks like Rick Dicker. And I see. I always think Rick Dicker looks like. Um, no, he's not a porn star, you guys. He's a, This is still an Incredibles character. Rick Dicker looks like um, Tommy Lee Jones. Okay, yeah. Like, yeah. M- Mike's bald. Rick Dicker's just got, like, that old, like... they. I will say uh, uh, Rick Dicker and Jonathan Banks both have that big swollen nose. I was going to say, yeah, that... Well, and so does Mike. So or, does yeah. Mike. Um, I'm going to pull a picture of Tommy Lee Jones real quick. Because I think he looks so much like. Yeah. <laughs> like 100%. Yeah, shit. That's fucking... It's kind of nuts. We're like, even with to... a tie. We're going to have to start putting, like, reference photos in on our Instagram. Like, a whole. Like, other than the graphics, just, like, here are all the reference photos for this episode. It's kind of nuts. Look at this side by side, like, when he's younger, too. Oh, shit. Yeah. It's, it's kind of wild. I don't know. Um,. Yeah, Agent Rick Man. Dicker, not a porn star. He's a, a character from the Agency and the Incredibles, and he kind of looks like uh, Mike from Breaking Bad as well as Tommy Lee Jones. But uh, anyhow, yeah, Jonathan Banks uh, stepped in to take over for Bud Lucky. So rest in peace, Bud Lucky. This film was also uh, dedicated to him because he passed out, or passed out, passed away. <laughs> <laughs> the year it was really again technically right he, he passed out he just never quite came to exactly. it again. you keep winning on these technicalities and i mean <laughs> good good job i think i don't feel good about well, it it happened though all right guys i i hope you find these uh following facts interesting i don't know i was kind of just reaching here because i was having a real tough time there were so many fun facts about architecture but they weren't fun at all they were just really really dry there was I I, I was kind of also looking up some and there was it, it was mostly dry like the movie was fun but I don't know just not as much heart no that's not true I don't know I'm hoping these next ones make up for the lack of um, era references that the film gave us I feel like the film kind of lacked in reminding us that it was the 60s or doing a good job of that but. Yeah, these facts are all basically uh, kind of what each character's look was inspired by from the time. So, uh, Bob Parr's style, Mr. Incredible, Mr. Incredible was based on uh, that of Paul Newman. So, makes sense. If you've ever seen photos of Paul Newman in the 60s, looks a lot like Mr. Incredible. Outside of his costume. <laughs> sure. Also, speaking of costume, glad we saw the return of the blue costume in this movie. I did like those. Yeah, both of them got like kind of their OG. Um, yeah, and, I mean, we talked about that last episode where those costumes just pop a lot more. Like, I know it's supposed to be they're becoming a family unit thing, but like, just because you're a family doesn't mean you can't have your own uh, independent character. Totally. Your own independence. Good note, Nate. Yeah. No? You know what? I got a lot of opinions, and you're all going to hear them. <laughs> that's that's what we're here for. Nate's opinion hour. That's right. Um, but Helen's style was based on that of Mary Tyler Moore, Marilyn Monroe, and Audrey Hepburn, who were all strong, 
career-minded and looked fabulous at the time in the 60s. Damn. So it was a powerhouse combo there. Very much a powerhouse combo. God damn, god damn. Um, right. What was it? Nothing. I'm oh. minding my own business. What are you doing? Okay. I'm reading fun facts. Oh, okay. Leave me alone. Yeah. Well. Did you know that the only time that uh, Jack-Jack wears clothes is when Helen's home? <laughs> when Bar- Bob is uh, alone with the kids... He's always wearing a diaper and no clothes, so <laughs> says something about the, the parenting there. Exactly, Bob. That ain't his thing. You know? No. He's struggling enough learning math. I, I, I did love that bit that he kept saying. He's like, they changed math. It's, like, it's not wrong, I, I guess. Yeah, he's like, I thought I just did that for you yesterday. Yeah, but now they're doing percentages, fractions, and demisols. He's like, it's decimals. <laughs> There's like a scene where Flash says like dem- Flash. Demisels. Is it Flash? No, it's Dash. Uh, Dash. Dash says like Demisels like three times. It's great. Um, speaking of Dash, Dash only has one t-shirt model that was shaded a bunch of different colors and patterns over the course of the movie, but always in the Incredibles family signature color of yellow, orange, and red. Hmm. So that okay. was always... Pretty easy character model, and then you only have to work on the shading and wrinkles for like one, one outfit. Exactly. No new textures. Textures are a pain in the ass. That's coming from an animator over here. <laughs> well, Listen up, Nate, Nate at, spitting facts. Look at me, I just got promoted. <laughs> Come to from me. now on, all of our Instagram graphics need to be motion ones. Ooh, chop chop. That could be fun. I already got a bunch of weird selfies from you saved in my phone for whatever point I need to use them. It's true. There's a lot. Yeah, Nate's got content from me that I could definitely <laughs> probably lose future jobs over. If we ever compete for the same job, I'm just I got this in my back pocket. I'm ready for it. Just gonna post them all over. Just me duck lipsing with a real bad mustache. <laughs> you look great, kid. Thanks, bud. Yeah. Um and that brings us to our final fun, maybe fun fact. Uh, did you know that Violet style is based on a more modern, rebellious look? Designers just decided that 50s fashion wouldn't really suit her and looked more to 60s and current fashion to give her a different silhouette. I think we kind of mentioned this in the last uh, one, that there wasn't really goth girls in the 60s per se, but she kind of comes across as a, a goth girl. I disagree, though, with the 50s fashion wouldn't really suit her. I think they could have gone full beatnik route, mm. Euro beatnik, had her with a beret and, and you know, wearing black and white, and I think it would have worked out fantastic. But Yeah, but I don't, like, even in the 50s and 60s, I don't think people like those people, and I yeah. don't think that's uh, gotten any better, and we'd, like, hating, hating a character that ends up saving the day, yeah, like... You know those characters in a movie, like you're rooting against them, like the like Jar Jar Binks in the Star Wars, uh, the Star Wars prequels. Like you hate that guy, but like he saves the day, kind of, and you're like, oh, shit, okay, good job, I guess. Like it, when a yeah, when a character you don't like does something good, like it, it doesn't feel good. So what you're trying to say is beatniks are not okay, goth girls are very okay. That seems fair seems critical well hey welcome to nate's opinion hour <laughs> we're good buds listen to nate's opinions i think next episode i just take back seat and we let you just uh take the ball and run i'm just gonna maybe, be going. maybe we let you do that for wally since it's already a pretty dismal film Ooh, 
I don't know. Wally's a good one. Don't um, you just make us real sad? Tell you what, I'll do it during cars because. <laughs> no, that's a funny one. I, I, that's gonna be where I do uh, the the full episode and Larry the Cable Guy's voice. Miter. We're gonna just drink a bunch of moonshine for that one. <laughs> it's just gonna be our best uh, impressions of everyone from the blue collar comedy hour. Yes, exactly. <laughs> You know your car when <laughs> your car just real low level jokes. We'll end up with a comedy special happy or comedy special comedy hour. If your fuel tank's running on E, but you're two miles from your house and you really need to poo, and you skip the gas station, you might be a car. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it here. <laughs> I create a very welcoming environment yes, in the studio very, for my employees. Very, oh, very good at it. In the form man. of friggin' union against your all of your impressions. <laughs> it's our union's first demand. Salsa Dave, if you want to join my union. <laughs> I don't think he does. Maybe. He might. I'll let you know. Then we can just go against Union Buster Supreme over here. <laughs> <laughs> moving along we're gonna we're gonna cover some music here there's not a lot here for the music but i got some stuff um in 2015 brad bird confirmed that michael god i get to mispronounce his name again wrong uh M- michael giacchino sounds like a type of pepper maraschino uh he'd return to uh compose the score and uh, he began to work on the score around May 2017. Uh, the soundtrack album was released on June 15th, 2018. And on CD two weeks later, which is weird. CD, this was like two years ago. Still seems very archaic. Nothing against CDs. CDs are tight, but never mind. But like, if you're... It seems unnecessary. Like, they thought it was going to be an avenue to make money, and I'm sure that they did make some money on it. Maybe some. Like, it, like, it would be weird to be, like, that big of a studio where a small amount of money might as well be a loss. Right. You know? just Yeah, just exposure, ad revenue. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, in addition to the film's score, the soundtrack includes uh, the vocalized theme songs for Mr. Incredible, Frozone, and Elastigirl. <laughs> heard entire in their entirety like they were in the credits uh as well as bonus versions of the songs sung by disney's acapella group known as decapella that's a dumb name i get it but it's dumb it is dumb it's dumb and i don't like it and uh also worth noting here michael giacchino he's got a pretty nice body of work so he did the first incredibles had been composing well before that but uh also, like, just in this time that we're talking, like, 2018, he did Incredibles 2. The year before that, did Coco, which was, like, known for its music. Yeah. Year after Incredibles yeah. 2, Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom. Ooh. So, this dude, I mean, right there, those three films, you're looking at over a billion dollars at the box office, and this dude was the on the forefront of the music. I mean... Damn. He he probably knows his shit. Pretty in demand. Um, yeah. Yeah. If you're doing stuff with Disney and Universal Studios, pretty set. But uh, we're going to take a quick little break. 
we will be right back for our uh, final thoughts on the film, our review of the film, our beer review, and if we had a favorite villain. Yeah. So, stay yeah. tuned. Morty! Rick? W where are you? On my workbench, Morty. Are you invisible and you're going to, like, fart on me? Flip the pickle over. What? I'm going to touch it and you're going to tell me it's an alien dick or something. Come on, flip the pickle, Morty. You're not going to regret it. The payoff is huge. I turned myself into a pickle, Morty! Boom! Big reveal. I'm a pickle. What do you think about that? I turned myself into a pickle! W what are you just staring at me for, bro? I turned myself into a pickle, Morty. And? And? What more do you want tacked onto this? I turned myself into a pickle and 9-11 was an inside job? Was it? Who cares, Morty? Global acts of terrorism happen every day. Uh, here's something that's never happened before. I'm a pickle! I'm Pickle Rick! Oh, wubba dub 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 Uh, we're back, and I don't know what that was. Please something start from over. That kid's show that people watch <laughs> with the Szechuan sauce. No, Eric, no. I, I'm not a fan of them either, Nate, but I they, like the show. they it's permeate just, my daily life. I like the show. Everybody that likes it is bad. We're not even going to mention the show's name. We're not getting okay. paid by them. That's fair. This is a beer podcast and, and Disney podcast. Damn it. Okay. <laughs> Pixar. 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 Gotta finish this with a Texas flair. Ooh, I like that. Um, before we put a bow on the Incredibles series, gotta ask you, Nate, do you have a favorite superhero? Do you like superheroes? Maybe is a better question. I like superheroes. My favorite one's a little tricky because I kind of got my beef with all like the major like definitely I got my beef with all the Marvel ones. Um, might go with like the Hulk because like he 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 kind of realizes that he's like a monster. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't have any sort of superiority complex. Like he's smart and he knows that. But he doesn't have any sort of superiority complex, and he's kind of like, "Shit, I can do these things, but I don't want to have to do them. But if I have to do them, I'll do it. I guess." Like, yeah, uh, he's a humble. He's a humble superhero. Sure, you kind of see that. Yeah, Hulk. Yeah, you I mean like just Hulk, or you like the Hulk Bruce Banner dynamic? Like the dynamic, the dynamic. I, mean, I like that too. Yeah, kind of a Beauty and the Beast thing. Yeah. I mean, the Hulk also, like, like they're kind of, like, at odds all the time, too. Yeah, he's always fighting but, himself. Yeah, but then he's also got, I mean, the Hulk is basically invincible. Sure. I mean, he's the Incredible, but he's basically invincible. It's not a bad pick. Yeah. And I think you, you, you chose it for good reasoning. Yeah. Um, good job, Nate. Hey, thanks. Proud of you. I'm good at what I do. You know, yeah. Be good at what you do. <laughs> I'm glad you also chose a Marvel guy. Because I like Marvel. I like Marvel more than DC, I think. Are you not going to give me a favorite superhero? You're just going to ask me and then like run off with it? Oh, it's just a question for you. Oh, do you okay, want to yeah. ask me the same yeah, question? I don't really care. All right. Uh, <laughs> give me a superhero. Spider-Man? Yeah, Spider-Man's good. Definitely Spider-Man. Like, do you have, like, movie-wise, do you have a favorite one? Hmm. Because um, there's one answer you could give me that will be the end of this podcast completely. Unbreakable. Huh? Unbreakable. Unbreakable. Yeah. What are you talking about? Movie of Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson. I'm talking about Spider-Man. No, you, I thought you said do you have a favorite superhero film. Oh no, I thought you said Spider-Man was your favorite superhero. He is. Okay. 
So which Spider-Man? Oh, do I have a favorite Spider-Man film? Yeah. Uh, Spider-Man the first, starring Tor- Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst. Oh, this and... is Nate signing off for the final time. Uh, J.K. Simmons to- and... Uh, Tobey and... Maguire. Oh, and uh, 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 James Franco and... Uh... What else we got in that one? Everybody bad. That's not true. I like James Franco, I guess. That's what we got. He's probably the worst of them. <laughs> Toby Maguire. Kirsten Dunst is is she's fine. A very attractive, nice lady. She and is. J.K. Simmons is phenomenal in everything, and Toby Maguire is is dorky and plays the role perfectly. And I think he was a more believable Spider-Man than whoever that middle guy was. I always forget his name. Oh, I forgot. We got Willem Dafoe too. I'm yeah, gonna, Willem Dafoe what a was great good. movie. Nate. Willem Dafoe was good. Um. But uh, who was, um, who was the middle Spider-Man? Like there was Tobey Maguire, and then there's the new guy, Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield. He was probably like the least believable Spider-Man because he was British. Well, that too. British people are bad. I'll die on that hill. There's no spiders in Britain. Well, that's what I would say. That are actually no, no. It's for sure British. It's for sure a British spider. There has to be. You ever seen one? Uh, that's. <laughs> He raised a lot of good points right now. I've never met a British spider. Never, nonetheless. Uh, I don't know. Spider-Man is just good. Spider-Man 1 is really good. Um, yeah. I have the VHS version of that film, and if you stay tuned for the end credits like they tell you to, you get a cool version of uh, a song from the movie, sung by Chad Kroger of, of Nickelback fame, which is pretty cool. Very good. Very good. <laughs> You remember that watching VHSs and they're like, stay tuned to the end of film for a special featurette on the making of, as well as an official song. Yeah, like a weird Smash Mouth. Yeah, like a weird music video at the end of a movie. Yeah, Yeah. I remember that. It was great. I remember one of them. It was uh, was one of the Spy Kids movies. And I remember, yeah, yeah. watching all the way till the end and, like, yeah, just goofy as hell. Yeah, and Machete's in it. Like, you know, yeah, I mean. It's fun because it's they're both like the Tarantino movies and Spy Kids. It's both uh, Danny Trejo and, and Robert Rodriguez. Yep, and their machete. Right. Well, yeah, machete is more of what I'm talking about. Yeah. And it's like, okay, you can't have an act like the same actor play a character with the same name and have them be different people. So <laughs> it goes. I think it. It's implied then that um, that the Spy Kids movie happens in the same universe as the Machete movies. Mm. So they Spy Kids uncle is up to some you know very gory superhero work. I guess. Yeah. Huh. Look at you doing your homework, watching Spy Kids for a Pixar podcast. Well, you know you gotta you gotta go outside the box on some things. You know what they always say about you? Just delightfully confused. Uh, I am a delight to be around, and that's what everybody <laughs> says about me. Uh. So yeah, I I, I like Spider Man. Spider Man's great. Tobey Maguire is is not great, but no, those movies freaking slapped. Dude. The, although the Spider Man three scene where he's like infected with venom and dancing yeah that dancing scene i'm gonna put dirt in your eye like they were trying to like make him tough but also keep it like pg and yeah so, like it was just real weird scene 
how about the fact that like his real life villain in spider-man 3 when i say real life i mean like in that movie peter parker's nemesis is <laughs> is eric foreman <laughs> he did a very bad job basically the villain would have been completely unbelievable if he wasn't straight up trying to kill people yeah like that's the only reason that villain is like okay he's a bad guy Otherwise, it's just goofy and weird and self-serving. And talk about being recast. How do you think Eric Foreman feels knowing that he got recast for that role by Tom Hardy? <laughs> like, that's the new Venom, you know? It was originally supposed to be Topher Grace. Was that who it was supposed to be? Yeah, that's who it was. And, like, oh. Eddie Brock in 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 uh, Spider-Man 3 was played by Topher Grace, who played Eric Foreman from that 70s show. And he was the the alter ego of venom fast forward x amount of years 10 years venom movie comes out and venom is played by like one of the biggest walking badasses on planet earth tom hardy and it's yep. like yeah I-, I see you've all uh upgraded exactly <laughs> what a what a fine replacement we've got here yeah yeah but just wanted to get that in before the end of the show because uh yeah we're putting a bow on the the superhero portion of this podcast so yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently, we got a new mermaid movie we got to deal with too. You ever meet those people in real life that try to convince you that mermaids are real? Yes. I don't like those people. I've been on, I've been on a, a date or two with a person that's really into mermaids. They're like a peg below horse people. <laughs> I feel like you're saying that because Samantha is a horse girl. She is only a horse girl to you. <laughs> she would never describe herself as that. I don't think she's been on a horse in the last 20 years. I don't think she has drawn a photo of a horse or been photographed near a horse in the last 20 years. Um, I don't think she's been gifted anything horse related in the last 20 years. I think this Yet. is something that Yet. Nate took and ran with. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think. If you got a horse, that's cool. I just don't want to hear about it. <laughs> don't want to hear about you riding it or racing it or euthanizing it because it didn't make you a million dollars. Like horses belong in the wild, and and it always reminds me of that Jim Carrey line in the Grinch movie, uh, where he's like talking about how the Who's throw everything away, and he's like going, "I want a, I want a necktie. I want a pony so I can get or ride it for a year, get bored, and sell it to make glue." Jesus Christ. <laughs> like the line, like, I know it's coming every time, and I love it every time. What's this from? Uh, it's from The Grinch. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Just a real dark joke in there. Fantastic. Uh, What were we talking about? Oh, I think we were talking about The Incredibles. Oh, and horses. And Samantha being a horse girl. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to rate this beer. Okay. Um, this is from Central Waters. We didn't talk much beer on this episode, and I apologize. But uh, Central Waters does a lot of really good stuff. They do, um, um, what's the beer called? I think it's is it KBS Kentucky Barrel Stout? No, that might be found. Mm. They do Central Waters does some real limited release beers. That's all I know. Some like Imperials and some barrel aged stuff. Um. This is not from that series. This is one of their canned 12-ounce offerings. But, uh, yeah, they've kind of got it dialed in when it comes to strong, dark beers. 
Um, so yeah, check out Central Waters just a state away from us in Wisconsin. Or, yeah, that's right. We're in California. It's probably about yeah. uh, twelve states away. Yep. Um, we're for sure in California. But uh, yeah, tropical face punch. I like it. It is kind of a tropical face punch. It's a lot of grapefruit juice, which I like. When you got a beer that's got cherries, orange, and pineapples in it, I get a little. Eh, it sounds a little Hawaiian punchy for me, but it is actually mostly grapefruit. Yep, a lot of grapefruit. I love this beer, man. I would give this. This beats out Ballast Point Grapefruit Sculpt, and I'm giving it a 4 7. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, that's up there. I really like this. Especially, my mine is warmed up a little bit, so I now kind of feel like I'm drinking, like, grapefruit juice. But mm-hmm. when this was ice cold right out of the can, I could have put away a full can of this. I would have probably regretted it afterwards, or at least been feeling it. But yep. hot day, oh, yeah. I uh, can make this disappear. Yeah, it It was, it was good. Um it's just not my style. Um, I not a huge grapefruit person, um, so it's kind of an unfair rating. Um, but I'm probably gonna go like three five with it. Um, like I'd buy it again if somebody really like. And also, uh, we've said it before. I'm kind of hazed out, mm-hmm. so got a hazy grapefruit, and they did a good job with it. Um, the alcohol did stick out a little much to me. Where I kind of felt like I was drinking a cocktail more than a beer. It's boozy. Yep, it's real boozy. Um, but if if you like hazies, I would definitely recommend it. But yeah, for me, probably sitting at like three five. Okay. Yeah. Still not bad. Yeah, we don't have to agree on everything. Yeah. Yeah, we don't. You're right. You're we're right. Nate, we're we strong and independent. We are. Yeah. We that's are. what everybody says about us. Yep. <laughs> um but yeah we we uh did a little beer traveling this week we drank some beers from wisconsin and, and from texas thank you again for bringing that delightful beer back are you sure that is that the same company that does that kentucky barrel though no it's not so i think kbs I really like that kentucky barrel i think kbs is kbs is founders okay yeah, I really Central like that Waters beer. though does a lot of um limited edition brewing. I'm trying to figure out like what they call it. They have a series um or one specific beer. I'll maybe try to figure it out here while we're we're chatting, but sure. uh Guess I can jump into my rating if it's gonna take a second. Yeah, do it. Do yeah. it up. Um. So for this movie, or no, we're doing the villain rating first. Yeah, yeah maybe skip the villain rating. You know, like Evelyn as the villain. I thought she was good. She really wasn't. I don't know. I guess we could rate villain for this one. I mean, I think it's important, especially because not all Pixar movies have a villain. And I mean, she had a villain name. She was a screenslaver, although that was kind of like a facade. But um evelyn slash the screensaver i'm gonna put her just above syndrome um i think actually she actually is gonna crawl into my number one spot she's gonna crawl into my number one reason being that like lotso 
she had like these past demons and she took it out on everybody else. But unlike Lotso, she was prepared to force other people to do her bidding to ruin their lives because she didn't like them. With Lotso, mm. it was more like he was using everybody else to stay on top. She was actively trying to bring other people down because she didn't like them. And that's that's a little heavier. Like, it's not just manipulation. It is actively trying to destroy people because you feel that their existence is wrong. I don't disagree at all. And I think it was part of the reason why I was maybe reluctant to rate her with the rest of our villains is I just feel like she's very unfair to compare to like a lot. So, or even like a Sid where it's like, yeah, I mean, if we're just going to put this whole thing on a level playing field, she's by far the worst and by far the most dangerous. You're talking about a, someone who has access to billions of dollars in technology and infrastructure and also, oh, yeah, by the way, they've hijacked the power grid. Yeah. Like, yeah, she's, she's easily the worst Pixar character as far as what they could do yeah. by far. Well, like, because Syndrome, like, he had all of, like, the money and infrastructure. He was an idiot. He was an idiot, and he was just trying to make people think he was important and good. She was actively trying to force supers back into hiding because she hates them. And was a genius. And exactly. And is a genius. Yeah. And yeah. So I think she's in that number one spot. Easily for me. I yeah. yeah without question or thought, I'm putting her at number one. Yeah. Yep. She's far more um, dangerous. And yeah, her, her capacity to do harm to people or to a city is she's way more capable of doing that than any other character we've seen. I mean, most of them have been either toys or animals. Yep. So. That's true. But, um, yeah, also, oh, I just pulled this up. I remembered what it was. It was uh, Central Waters Bourbon Barrel Stout is one that people hunt down like crazy. Okay. But I just want to read this off. They have a um, on their website, they have a really nice kind of mm. list with the artwork of all their beers as well as a little finder where you can sort by style. It's it's a really nice website, actually. Um. But so they've got their year rounds, they've got their seasonals, they've got their specialties, and then they've got their brewer reserves. And I just want to read off these brewer reserves because these are all wood and barrel aged limited time offerings. We're doing some big time plugging for Central Waters here, but just just hear us out for a second. You got a bourbon pecan Kringle Stout. You've got the Call Me Old Fashioned. You've got the bourbon barrel stout. You've got the bourbon barrel cherry stout. You've got the bourbon barrel aged Belgian style quad. Want. You've got the rye barrel chocolate porter. Want. You've got the vanilla bean stout. The rye barrel stout. Want. The bourbon barrel scotch ale. Want. Want. The rum barrel coconut porter. Sounds really good, but feel like it might be a lot. Mm -hmm. Rum barrels can do some weird shit, though. This is you right here. Bourbon barrel-aged barley wine. Gimme. Gimme, gimme. The Peruvian Morning, which uh, upon clicking on, is a imperial stout made with freshly roasted MEJ's coffee. Okay. Um, and then the Cassian Sunset, which uh, mm. is a mm. another coffee bean 
beer with vanilla beans and cinnamon. Okay. okay. Um, there was another one that was kind of had a name but didn't really say what it was. Oh yeah, the Call Me Old Fashioned is their Imperial Red Ale brewed with cherries and a touch of bitters, aged in brandy bourbon barrels or brandy bourbon and orange curacao barrels. Jesus Christ. Give me that. Okay. It's their so, take on an old fashioned, the true Wisconsin way. What do you say we at the end of the Pixar episodes we just get all of those beers we hunt them down for the rest of the year. We get all of them, and we just go to town and we get blasted on air, and we preach how alcohol is a twenty-one beer is a twenty-one plus beverage, while drinking very irresponsibly. If I didn't uh, potentially have to drive to East Central Wisconsin, I would consider it. But uh... I actually have to go that way. Um, I got a different sibling's wedding this this summer. So we'll see what they got. Maybe I'll dive in after we get what done with this episode. What city is it in? Uh, it's in Amherst, which is kind of like, yeah, it's on the east side of Wisconsin. Okay. Um, that might be a little far. But uh, I do have their uh, their store finder here. I mean, if I can get their stuff in Minnesota, maybe they ship some limited stuff here. I got I got to go to a deep Wisconsin two times this year, one for a wedding and one for a demolition derby I sold my old car to. So, uh, are you gonna watch your car get smashed? I might be able to drive it. No way. I won't, not while they're smashing it, but like drive it around the track and goof around. I mean, it's like literally a forest clearing that would be that they've built some like small jumps and shit on. Amazing. Yeah, I would be very interested in doing that. Um, looks like here the Cassian Sunset that's the the coffee one with vanilla and cinnamon. It's available at MGM Wine and Spirits as well as Marshall Liquors. Oh, huh. so so we can hunt these down. And on tap at a number of places. Let's go head hunting. <laughs> Got him. Uh, but yeah, we've uh, we've rambled for a little while here. Just you know, when we feel like a brewery deserves plugging, we got to give them some plugging. I'm saying, again, this it wasn't really a fair rating because it was a really well done, but it's just something that is not in my style. Yeah, but even even your rating, I mean, that's a you give it a three six, three five, three, three five, three five, seventy percent. Yeah, that's a solid pass. That's a solid pass. C's get degrees. That's what I always say about degrees and C's. I always say that specifically me. No one else says that. <laughs> what do you say we do a final film rating here and All bring right. this uh, this uh, this chapter to a close? All right. Um, for me, I think I'm going to put this at number eight. Um, so that's going to be right between right below toy story 3 but right above toy story 2 um it was really good it was a well done sequel there were some things i didn't like didn't seem to have the charm that a lot of the other movies had but i think for a sequel it was really well done and most basically like top five are all like just original other than toy story 4 yeah and then kind of leading up the rear a lot of the sequels three even toy story three was really good but it was um i think i just liked this one i i I could go back and watch this one like if i if i could only watch two movies like or one movie in a night and it had to be one of those it'd probably be incredibles 2 over toy story 3 yeah yeah no i see that um incredibles 2 is a fun one i've also just seen it less than toy story 3 yeah um 
yeah, this is one of those few Pixar movies I did not see right when it came out. Um, I'm going to be putting it in a similar spot to you. You said you put it at number eight. Eight. Eight for me. Mine's going to be number seven, and it's going to be coming in right above um, Monsters U. Uh, above Monsters U, above Bugs Life, above Finding Dory, and above Toy Story 2. Um, and just below uh, Toy Story 3. Sure. A lot of parallels, I felt, between this movie and Toy Story 3. Okay. Kind of. Yeah. Kind of. Just... There's a lot of things thrown in it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It was it was good. It wasn't wasn't quite direct to video y, but also it didn't quite feel as like self aware and just as all around well made as the first Incredibles. The first Incredibles was something special. Even them going to like the hidden island and him, you know, mimosas and shrimp cocktails on the plane. I mean Yep. It was like an adult joke. It's like you get that if you're watching it. Like, oh, this is high class. This is like paying homage to like an old James Bond or something. You've got this, you know, sexy, is she good, is she bad, spy, double agent kind of character. Those characters, you see them, they don't have a lot going on, but you're like, I don't know about this person. And I guess, you know, maybe that was Bob Odenkirk and his character mm-hmm. or in this film, but I just felt like they did more if – if Bob Odenkirk's character, Winston, serves the same purpose that Mirage serves in the first Incredibles movie, I just think Mirage is a much better yep. pulled-off character. Yep. More reason to feel for her. You know, she was more complex. Um, yeah, like I said before, I think there was really potential to to turn Winston and never quite happened. And, you know, if there is an Incredibles 3... You know, maybe he's in it, but I don't really see any reason for him to reappear outside of a cameo. I want zombie syndrome is what I want. Zombie syndrome. Zombie I like that. Syndrome. What if he didn't die? I mean, he did get sucked up into a jet engine. I think he's such a good into a superhero. plane that blew up. Or a supervillain. He's a great supervillain. Yeah, he's dumb. He's like, dumb, I could, but he's I could so angsty. A, I could see like a syndrome Evelyn team up. Oh, okay. Like where Evelyn is like the brains of the operation. And Maybe she's building just, his new tech. Yeah, and Syndrome's just kind of like the the idiot she sends out to do his her bidding. I'd be all right with that. Yeah. I'd be but all then right with that. Syndrome's going to like try to do something on his own and kind of screw up the whole master plan. And then maybe Mirage comes back and she teams up with the Incredibles. And, and she did have powers all along. She... Bum, bum, I'm always, always thinking, you know? Yeah, that's... uh. That's a thought. Pixar, Pixar, hire us for writers. Dang old man, Pixar. There's Larry the Cable Guy speaking on behalf of Pixar. Mater. Yeah, hey. Voice Mater. <laughs> Enough of that. Yeah, we're done. We're done here. So we did our beer ratings. We did our film ratings. Um, that's, uh, I guess all that's left to do is uh, say goodbye. Aw. Do you want to oh, sing us out of here, I Nate? I miss you all so much. Little, little Mr. Rogers closing tune. You're the impressions guy. I'm the guy that critiques all of your impressions without doing my own. Yeah, let's not. Let's uh, let's give him an old uh, yeehaw, and we'll we'll be here next week. So uh... yeehaw. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. Take it easy, Finn. everybody. No notes. Finn.
say you like the wind blowing through your hair. Come on, roll with me till the sun goes down. Texas sun. Say you wanna hit the highway while the engine roars. Well, come on, roll with me till the sun goes down. Baby. 